So we continue our sermon series on life, life lessons from the Book of Romans. And so um, I mentioned to you all, we've been actually, um, last couple of weeks, I've given you little cards. And so we did one um, a couple of weeks ago on God's call. Matter of fact, I think we've got one actually up on the screen. It's the one, the little mountains. And we can, we have this in a little card. If you want to pick one of those that we mentioned that last week. And then we have a brand new card in the last couple of sermons I preached. And it has, um, once again, it has talks about conviction. Yeah. And can you put that next slide up if you could? Yeah. So we talked about this in my, uh, a couple of weeks. Weeks ago, conviction, clarity, certainly about going deeper, and then, um, and then, on, if you can flip over to the next one, and then this is kind of a summary of the message last week about the we should not be ashamed of the gospel, and shame versus power, power that Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, Jesus' death and resurrection means salvation, salvation, death has been defeated, and death is the defeated enemy, and then rescuing from shame. It goes back to the Old Testament about how the children of Israel rescued from, well, from the Egyptians and rescued from the Babylonians and Paul's letter to the Romans and reminded they've been rescued through Jesus Christ. So um, if you want to pick those up, those are on the, on the way out. You're more than welcome. There's a little sermon series, uh, part of our sermon series this week. So um, we, Ellen, uh, 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 I mentioned in the liturgy this morning came from uh, the 10th chapter of Romans. And so I want to share with you all, uh, this week, um, our key verse is this. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so that's where we're going today. So let me read the introduction to that um, from Romans 10. So brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I can testify that they have a zeal for God, but it is no longer enlightened. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they have not submitted to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law, so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes, Paul says. Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law, that the person who does these things will live by them, but the righteousness that comes from faith says, do not say in your heart, who will descend to heaven? This is to bring Christ down. Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you on your lips and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart and so it's justified and one confesses with the mouth and so is saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God, amen. What a great text from the book of Romans this morning. So when I read that this week, the the first word that came to me in my sermon preparation um, was the word personal, and immediately this is what comes to my mind, so often that um, I get you know, well, I get emails and I get texts and so forth. Sometimes I get a phone call, not very often. But every once in a while, I'll find this on my desk on a Monday morning. And um, it's, it's written, um, personal. Uh, and so on this particular one, I, I pulled out of my, you know, a lot of times I save these notes just for, um, I'm just, I don't know. I just have a whole, I have a whole drawer full of notes. 
this one says head preacher personal. And, and so um, when you get the head preacher personal, when I, I, I sometimes I don't know where this is going. I mean, sometimes I get a head preacher personal letter and it's good and, you know, it's positive. And then sometimes I get head preacher personal, not so positive. I was a little when I kind of cringe when I see the word personal. Personal. I love that because see, what's interesting nowadays, there is so little that's personal. Now think about that. I mean, with the world in which we live in with, well, Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram, all that going on. Now there seems to me there's so little in the world that's actually personal because everybody wants to post their stuff. Here's the interesting thing about Harold is, I don't have a Facebook account and I never am going to have a Facebook account because guess what? I don't want to know anybody. I don't want anybody to know my business. Remember that back in the good old days, you just say, well, it's none of your business. Well, evidently, evidently nowadays, everybody wants everybody knows everybody's business. There's so little today that is personal. My, my kids are really into this, by the way. They're, they're really into Instagram and face, Facebook. They, they're, they're all about it. Uh, my son, Luke, he, he posted, well, he likes to post stuff. And um, I thought this one was actually very interesting, this particular post. And I'll tell you the reason why after I showed you. It's about 10 seconds. Um, he was out. He lives in Connecticut now. And um, he loves to go out in the woods. And he um, get, has this little um, little um, cot thing that he puts up, um, hammock he puts up in between two trees. It's kind of an instant thing. He can just pop it up. And, and he like, likes to go out and just kind of bond with nature and just the quietness. And he likes to read. So he gets in his, his little hammock and it kind of cozies up and he begins to read. So the other day... Um, he was all cozied up and, well, let me just show you the post. This is what happened. <laughs> so he had this encounter with his bear. And so what was interesting about that, the whole experience, is I thought it was actually kind of interesting, you know, kind of powerful. I thought, here he is. And and um, so I call, um, we, we had this kind of conversation. I said, were you scared? He says, oh, yeah, Dad, I was afraid. He says, I thought the bear was going to eat me. And, uh, and I said, okay, well, I'm glad he didn't eat you. And at one point, actually, his bear, when he was crossing, he looked straight at Luke, literally just right at him. And he just kind of kept on moseying along. And then, um, um, so Luke calls me Friday night because I, t- I text him. I said, can you send that to me because I'm using a message. And he said, sure, Dad, whatever. So then he calls me Friday and he says, Dad, how are you going to use this in a message? And I said, well, I'm going to use it because I want to talk about what's personal. And nowadays, everybody really so much, how, there's so little in the world that's personal and how everybody wants to post everything. And he says, Dad, that's genius. He, he actually didn't say that. I made that up. But anyway. <laughs> He says, actually, that's a pretty good idea, Dan. So, you know, what's interesting nowadays, there's, everybody has to post everything. He says, you know, what's actually interesting, Dad, is about, I I was more kind of enthralled about being able to make sure that I captured that on my video camera and on my camera in order that I could post it than actually kind of have an exit plan in order to be able to actually, if the the bear actually did come try to eat me. He, He was more consumed about, trying to capture it on his video so he could post it in order everybody could see it. There's so little in the world that's personal anymore. 
And that's an example of it. I was watching this some documentary um, about Derek Jeter. Uh, I, you know, I love baseball and so forth. I've got a picture of Derek Jeter. Some of you know, he was the captain of the New York Yankees. He, he had a, we well, had a pretty good career. He, he, he played for the Yankees for 20 years. Um, and if you want to talk a little bit about his statistics, he's a first uh, round Hall of Famer, first ballot. He also um, won five World Series. And if you talk about hits, um, he is number six out of the thousands and thousands of professional baseball players. I mean, he's up there with uh, Pete Rose, uh, Hank Aaron, Ty Cobb, and then there's uh, Derek Jeter. I think he had a pretty good career. And so what's interesting is that uh, because he played in New York uh, and he's the captain of the Yankees, he was under this microscope. And, and, and so everybody was always wanting to get some kind of scoop out of him. And so you know what was interesting? What he became very, very good at, Derek Jeter, in this documentary I noticed, and there was a theme through with the whole thing, is that um, he was actually probably better at this than he was at baseball. How to handle the media. Because the media was always looking for some kind of scoop or be able to hear something that he said and quote it in a way and maybe twist it, manipulate it to, in order to make a front page that sensationalize the whole story. And so Derek Jeter became a master of handling the media and basically answering the question but never answering the question. He, he was unbelievable at it. And so the reason being, and he said this, is because he wanted to keep his private life private. He wanted to keep what was personal, personal. What's personal? So I'm, 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 I'm sitting there doing my reflections for my sermon on Thursday afternoon. And um, I'm, you know, every week when I, I put it all together, usually on either Wednesday afternoon or Thursday afternoon, I, I start kind of putting my notes on my little PowerPoint and so forth, my little notes up here. And then all of a sudden this came to me and I actually put it on a little, little piece of paper. And then I took this from this little piece of paper as I was doodling and then I put it on this little board up here. And so I went back over here, I came over to the church and I made this little thing and um, this is where I'm going today with this message. And matter of fact, uh, we put this on a slide for us to think about. And so it starts with the word personal. And so here's, here's the slide for us to think about. So the first word is when we think about personal and this is what, G, what Paul says, because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Can you say that with me? Can we repeat this together? Here we go. Can, participation of the sermon. Ready? Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. So then I just went back and I started reflecting upon that quote that Paul gave us today. And so once again, at all these little cards that I've given you, it starts with this word conviction. And conviction has to do with, you know, ultimately that something in your life that you feel convicted, that you realize that, you know, that you're a sinner and that you're, there's something missing in your life and that you want more out of your life. And you realize what you're really maybe missing in life and what you really want in life is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what's interesting as I was putting this together, I always, I always talk about, a, when I talk about a relationship with Jesus Christ, I always say a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because see, it's not just a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. 
So when I, I think about this quote here, because it, think about the first three words of what Paul puts, he says, because if you confess, it's you. It's between you and Almighty God. So when I think about this, the idea of conviction, conviction says, you know, something's missing in my life. I'm, there's a missing piece of the puzzle in my life, and I feel some sense of conviction. And conviction literally means to confession. And confession means that I realize, you know, well, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need help, and I, I'm, I need to confess my sins. And I love this word. And, then, and so Paul even talks about if you confess with your lips, and then the, the second, so we have this word conviction, and we have this word confession, and then we have the word profession. In other words, you know, the, the professing that this really, you know, that I have this relationship, that I'm, prof- I'm confessing my sins, but I'm professing my relationship. And yes, Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. If you profess and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, you're going to be saved. This is what Paul says. So we have a conviction, we have a confession, we have a profession, and then we call this a conversion experience. And so Mr. Wesley would say, and then we're going on, and when I call this, this last little part is salvation. So we have conviction, confession, profession, conversion, and salvation. And so what's very powerful to me is I'm, um, I'm 59, and about when I was four years old, I still remember being by my bedside and my father coming into my bed and he would pray with me every night. And he would tell me stories and we would pray together and it was our very sacred, personal time together. Never forget it. So we're in the midst somewhere about four or five years old. I started connecting the dots, but my relationship with, because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, this is an important word that Paul's talking about today, Lord. So if you went conviction, confession, profession, conversion, salvation. So for the last 54, 55 years, I've been working out this salvation thing. Because see, when I started out, when I was four or five, you know, my, my idea of my relationship with God is that God was a big God, but I also was afraid of God. I mean, I always felt like, you know, if I did something wrong, if I disappointed God or I disappointed my parents, I felt like the wrath of God was going to come out. That was my mentality, right? I just did not want to disappoint God. And I was afraid that if I did anything wrong, that God would ultimately come down and something really bad was going to happen to me. That was my mindset for years and years and years. And as I grew a little bit older and became a little more mature, I realized that God wasn't a wrathful God. God wasn't out to get me. God wasn't there to pummel me. But somewhere I realized that God just loved me and accepted me and forgave me and offered grace to me and mercy. So for the last 55 years of my life, since I was four, you know, I, I did this little trod around the bases when I was a little boy. But for the last 55 years, my ultimate goal, and once again, what's the ultimate goal is to get home. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this ultimately, the salvation thing leads home. And you get enough people at home, you win. And Jesus wants us to all win. 
There's victory in Jesus Christ. Can we amen on that? I, I love, let me just teach for a second. I got a great little story. I, I found this this week, and I didn't realize this, but in 325 AD, um, there was a, the early church fathers um, came together, and they called the Council of Nicaea. And this is in our, actually, in our, in our United Methodist hymnal. It's called the Nicene Creed. So we just, we just did our profession of faith, the Apostles' Creed, right? But the Apostles' Creed was actually written around 5th century. This one was written in 325. It's the first profession of our faith. Ready? And why is this really, really important? So just listen, because most of us don't have, don't, do not have the Nicene Creed. But this is the first creed. This is the very first profession of our faith as Christians. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father through him, and all things were made for us and for our salvation. And so why did that word Lord end up in this Nicene Creed? I'll tell you exactly the reason why, because it goes back when you think about this whole thing, but if you confess that Jesus, that with your lips that Jesus is Lord, well, in the Roman Empire, guess what Caesar was known as? He was known as the Lord of the Empire. So let's be really clear. So the early Christians wanted to make sure that everybody knew, understood that Jesus Christ is Lord of the universe. Matter of fact, if you go back to the Old Testament tradition, there are indications that when you think and talk about the Lord, Lord Almighty God, the true sovereign God, he is ultimately the Lord of the universe. And so when you find the ultimate of Jesus Christ's only begotten son, when you're looking at Jesus, you're looking at God in the flesh, Paul wanted to make sure that everybody understood that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the universe. 325 AD, the very first profession of our faith. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So um, personal, personal, personal. Jesus being the Lord of your life. So last uh, week I, I preached my little sermon and um, I'm about to go out the door. And someone on this lady stopped me, and um, uh, there was hardly anybody, I'm always said, I had already gone. This is after the 11 o'clock service, and she says, Pastor Harold, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. What's on your mind? And she says, I just want to be sure. I said, what do you, what do you want to be sure about? I just want to be sure of my salvation. And then I asked her this question. I said, so what makes you question your salvation? And then she said, well, you know, I was, and she, I can't remember which church she said she was raised in, maybe the Holiness Church or Church of God, um, Church of Christ. You know, my mom always taught me that I had to actually go down to the altar and um, make some kind of, I guess, kind of some kind of profession. 
I said, well, I can understand that. But I said, you know, when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ and making a commitment, you know, you can do that anywhere. I mean, we can do that right now. So we had this, we had a really great talk. And then I turned to her and I said, would you want me to pray for you? And then she says, yeah. I would love for you to pray for me, Pastor Harold. So then I, I prayed for her. And, and we prayed about salvation. I prayed for about her salvation. And then I turned to her and I said, after I prayed, I said, would you like to pray? And then she said, well, I'm not very good at that, but I'll try. And she prayed the most beautiful prayer. And he was like the angel speaking, honestly. And you know what was powerful about that to me, that intimate moment, that personal moment? Is see, here's the reality. I couldn't do it for her. I could pray for her, but I can't pray the salvation prayer for her. I can't do it for you. I can't do it for my, grand, my kids. I can't do it for my granddaughter. That's a very, you ready? Personal thing. Because there's one thing about, you know, as I share, a relationship with Jesus Christ, but having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Because see, one minute, you ready? Don't miss the detail. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You get it? Personal. Jesus is always longing to have a personal relationship with you. So she prayed this most beautiful salvation prayer. And then I thanked her for allowing me to have a front row seat to that prayer. Personal. You know, I, I, um, I think about this text today, and, uh, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about, you know, being not ashamed of the gospel. Um, we talked about, you know, we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then we have this text this week, because if you confess with your your lips that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you'll be saved, yeah. I mean, this is like, to me, the, Paul's trying to keep it real. The main thing is the main thing. We need to be focused on the main thing. You know, what? it's interesting, let me just teach for a second, that Paul is dealing with this tension that's going on in his early church, right? In the book of Romans. Um, you know, Paul wrote this around 55 AD. Um, around, as I'm, I think I'm in, I can't remember if I mentioned this last week or not, but at 49 AD, um, Claudius, who happened to be the emperor, the lord of, the, of his empire, he, he basically banished the Jewish people out of Rome, and they had to leave. And so 
So there's this early church that's been established. And um, so then the Gentiles kind of take over the early church. And, um, and so then about five years later, after Claudius leaves, the Jewish people go back and they, well, they're not happy with the Gentiles the way they're running the Christian church. And so there's all this tension going on between the Jews and the Gentiles. Can you imagine tension in the early church? Can you imagine tension in the church? We all can relate to that. True story, you know, I was at my church before here and I, I came up with this, I thought it was a brilliant idea. I went to one of my friends who I was mentoring as a, uh, the mentor process of becoming an Methodist minister. His name was Fennell and he was Haitian. And I said, Fennell, I knew we had a following. I said, would you like to come and maybe, you know, partner with us? And so we could have like, we could have an English speaking church, which I would do. And then you would have a Creole speaking church. And he says, Pastor, I would love to do that. So we, we got it all together. And so we actually had two churches. And so what well, was very powerful, I mean, we, you know, our English-speaking congregation, we had a great worship experience, which is very similar to what we're experiencing today. But the Haitian worship experience, totally different. First of all, it was really, really loud. Loud. <laughs> loud. It just, they worshiped, uh, the Haitian people worshiped a different way. The second thing was, um, I want you to know, if you went to church there, you might spend, it's an all-afternoon thing. So if I go over three minutes, don't complain. And the third thing, I was just amazed. Don and I actually went to one of their worship experiences. They invited us to come, and it was just amazing. And when we walked in the front door of our, my, our church, I, I, we literally had to step over people because when they prayed, they were laying on the floor. They, were, they weren't just at the altar. Some of them were at the altar, but some of them were laid out lay before Jesus Christ, uh, not just on their knees, I mean literally laid on the floor. I'm thinking this would not probably go over well with the English, English-speaking class, group, right? But it was totally different. And so what was very interesting, the dynamics of the, the culture and the way that we worship Jesus was totally different, but yet we still worship Jesus. And so I had this great, I thought it was a brilliant idea. I, I, I said, let's just get everybody together and have a covered dish dinner. So we had a great big covered dish dinner and we had the English speaking group and we had the Creole speaking group and we kind of did the best we could be able to communicate. And so I, you know, I thought it was a great idea, bad idea. Bad idea. Bad idea. Because, you know, all I heard from one group was, oh my gosh, I can't believe that, you know, they didn't bring very much food and, and they piled the, the food on their plates and, oh my gosh. That's what I heard. We never had a never cover dish to dinner again. I love the devotion my, my lay leader of our church gave this last week at Finance Committee, Arba Thomas, he's in the choir. And his devotion was, why can't we all get along? There's a lot of truth in that. And you know what's interesting, and I think it's really powerful, you know, the, the, I love this text and, and that comes from the Apostle Paul, and I got a little story that goes with it, and we'll wrap this up for today, but um, Paul says this in the seventh chapter. He says, you know, and it goes back to the whole text, we've all fallen, uh, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He says, you know, I had the desire to do what is good and I cannot, but I cannot carry it out for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I just keep on doing. 
you know, I just, I'm trying hard, but I end up doing the thing I'm really not, really not supposed to do. So the other day, my little grandmother, granddaughter came to visit about two weeks ago. And, um, and so uh, it was Friday, and uh, Don had to go to work, and uh, she says, Harold, you're in charge. And I said, great, okay, good. And so, um, and she says, you're in charge of breakfast and so forth. So I, basically, I asked Marley, what, what do you want for breakfast? And she, she usually says potato chips. And I said, no, you can't have potato chips. And I said, she said, and she said, well, let's go to McDonald's. And I said, great, well, good. So I got a picture. Here's me taking her to McDonald's. She's got her, she's got her little uh, biscuit. Um, and so we got her that, we got her all going. She was having, we had a good time. So what's very interesting, during that weekend that she came to visit, and we have told her this, she, I think one of the reasons why she loves to come visit is because she likes getting stuff from her grandmother. And her grandmother's always got a lot of really cool stuff. Now what's interesting about her grandmother and her stuff is that she's always got the stuff stored in her closet. Well, Marley's figured that out. And so we have had, to, had this conversation, Marley, now listen, you can go anywhere in the house, but do not go to your grandmother's closet. It's off limits. Don't go there. You know where I'm going with the story, right? So, I mean, about Saturday. Where's Marley? I knew she hadn't gone to the house. We didn't hear any doors go out. She's somewhere in the house. And so we find her. She's in the closet with the door closed. Marley, what are you doing? Nothing. Marley, what are you doing here? I'm just looking around. <laughs> and so in the midst of all that, she finds this bathing suit. Now, she's already got 12 or 13 bathing suits, but she wanted this particular bathing suit that her grandmother had bought for her next birthday. And she says, can I have this? Now, I want to say as her grandmother, grandfather, put it back. But her grandmother is a soft and she says, all right. She rips off the tags, puts it on her, jumps in the pool, right? And it's so true about life. I mean, we just, it's just a classic little example. It doesn't matter if you're four or 84. It's interesting how we're, we do the things that maybe we really aren't supposed to do. Don't go there. Don't go there. That's the reason why Paul makes it very clear. All has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So I, I close with this little thought today. And I didn't realize this, and, uh, but back in 1992, Apple um, had this brilliant idea, and um, they had basically, I've got a picture of it, um, we read this this last week. It's called a, a Newton. And a Newton was, um, it's almost like a Palm Pilot. You remember there back before you had an iPhone, we had Palm Pilots. And so you could put all your information and so forth. And they spent like hundreds of millions of dollars to develop this. And so what was very powerful, um, it bombed. They lost a lot of money evidently on that. But was very interesting. Does anybody have an iPhone? Anybody have an iPhone? <laughs> Anybody? Okay. So what's interesting is that the Newton bombed miserably, but the technology in the Newton ended up becoming the technology they used in something that became extremely successful called an iPhone. 
And, and so what Paul is struggling with, and we'll pick up a little bit more on this next week, is that Paul is, is struggling with the church that's just struggling with their identity because you got the Jews and the G- Gentiles and they were not getting along. There was tension in the church. And, and what's very powerful is that the Jewish people were saying, they, they were saying, you have to do it our way. And the Gentiles say, well, why, why do we have to do it your way? And we have another way. And Paul is saying, listen, we're all in this because we keep the main thing the main thing. Why can't we just all get along? Because Jesus has established a brand new covenant with everybody, and it's about a personal relationship with him. It's not just for the Jews, but it's also for the Gentiles. It's for all those who ultimately profess their relationship and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's getting at. And so what's very powerful, is very interesting, is that there, Paul is struggling. He's got a, a, a dilemma going on between the Jews and the Gentiles, but he's also got a dilemma on because he's trying to convince the Jewish people in the first century that Jesus Christ, Christ really is truly the way. And a lot of them just could not take that personal leap that professed with their faith that Jesus Christ had died because they couldn't, couldn't buy into the vision that Jesus, well, ultimately it looked like he was a complete failure, a complete failure. And Paul says, no, he's not a complete failure. He rose from the dead. And so what's very powerful is that how Paul in his quest to make sure that as many people could ever have a relationship with Jesus Christ as he tried to convince many of the Jewish people in the first century, but a lot of them weren't buying it. So then his focus became upon the Gentiles. And I'll tell you, there's about 146, I think there's something like 146 Jewish, 146 million Jewish people in the world today that, um, oh, it's actually 14.8 million Jewish people in the world today, but there's 2.3 billion Christians in the world today. Because they, you know, at first it looked like Jesus was a failure. But Paul says, no, 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 no. He wasn't a failure. And the early church wasn't a failure. Personal. I, I close with this little quote. I was watching an interview with the CEO of Apple. When this, I actually wrote this down four or five years ago, and this is what he says, we're committed, Apple's committed to provide this, the world's best product that makes a difference in people's lives, that influence people's lives. That's what we're committed to. And he goes on and says this, and I, thought, I love this quote, he says, this is what we want, to give you something that you didn't know you needed, and once you got it, you can't imagine your life without it. And to me, that is a great summary of what Paul was really trying to get at. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord of the universe and the Lord of your life and believe in your heart that God raised from the dead, you will be saved. Conviction, confession, profession, conversion. And ultimately, Jesus Christ is leaving us towards the salvation home.